Religiosanity episode 81, back with Pastor Andrew. And this time uh, I, I wanted Peter to continue again uh, about uh, religious texts from uh, Ugarit, that yes. is the late Bronze Age city, which gave us an interesting uh, window uh, into religion and uh, mythology. Yes. And culture, uh, mental landscape of West Semitic people. Yes. Predating, of course, uh, Hebrew people by several centuries and uh, Hebrew Bible by many centuries. Yeah, it's crazy. Because I have that kind of take on Hebrew Bible being relatively late. Mm -hmm. But still, this, this represents polytheistic roots to a large extent, polytheistic roots of uh, Hebrew Bible. Yeah. And uh, I think that we did uh, some episodes about King Carrot uh, yes. and his epos and uh, about uh, Daniel or Akkad and, uh, and so on. And this time I wanted to uh, talk about... Uh, text which is uh, referred to in many different names but it has also its own uh, number which is currently recognized and that's KTU uh, 123 and uh, all those different names for it uh, might be like the gracious gods the sacred marriage liturgy that's one way uh, it has been described by my uh, teacher from Edinburgh, uh, Nicholas Wyatt. Uh, another capacity in uh, Ugaritic studies, uh, Mark Smith, now at Princeton, uh, published a book or commentary even on this specific text. Uh, and he calls that ritual and myths of the feast of the goodly gods. Mm. Uh, it is also called simply by the main divine uh, protagonists as uh, Shahar and Shalim. Uh, and there might be probably many more different names. Uh, why I am picking this text uh, today is that it is a really interesting uh, example uh, of... Uh, ancient way of thinking about religion. Mm. I think that we discussed already that, uh, for instance, almost word-for-word -word repetitions of certain uh, parts of the text uh, are probably artifacts of oral tradition. Uh, if you remember, and they cannot be viewed as coming from different sources. That is what uh, is informing uh, our understanding of Hebrew Bible. Before, uh, scholars uh, often thought that, you know, here we have doublets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they have to be coming from two different uh, sources. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, Ugaritic texts are showing us that you know repetition can be just an as i said artifact of oral tradition so we've done that uh, now 
this text is uh, informative or very interesting from a different point of view. And that is that this tablet, just one tablet, uh, KTU-123, is composed or contains clearly parts which are liturgy, which are rituals, and which are myth. Sometimes, in this text, very often, these individual parts are divided even by horizontal lines, dividing them into sections. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, regardless of that, it tells us something about how ancient people viewed their religion and they were not categorizing it that strictly as we would in, mm. in modern era or even pre-modern medieval era. You know, for people for quite a while now, uh, something is either ritual, yeah. cult, or it is liturgy, yeah, like prayers or incantations or something like that, uh, or it's a myth, yeah. And uh, we divide it quite clearly, but here we have an amalgamation of all of that together, you know, mm. mixing it together, uh, fusing it almost together. Mm. And that's another eye-opener for our understanding of the Hebrew Bible. Because that is happening there as well. Mm. You have their permeation of different uh, materials together. And, you know, uh, from 19th century or even the, the end of... Uh, at uh, the end of 18th century, uh, theologians uh, observing, you know, here, here is the legislation, here are the legal stuff, and here are the storytelling, and uh, here is the poetry. Uh, they, they, they recognizing these different categories as they were being developed, mm -hmm. uh, started to think about, you know, coming from different uh, backgrounds. Uh, and originally not belonging together and being just right. put together through uh, in the editing phase when the Bible was, uh, or say, uh, Pentateuch, uh, Torah, mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. put together, that these mm -hmm. things were fused at that time from these different sources. And uh, here, this one tablet from Ugarit uh, is telling us, just take a step back, be careful. <laughs> that that, that yeah. might not be the case. Yeah. Uh, because people back then were not that clearly, you know, saying, uh, the, here we have a, a piece of library which is about liturgy, yeah. here we are dealing with rituals, and here we have myths. No, here it is all in one text from ancient times. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Yes, it can be edited <laughs> yeah. uh, already back then, but very early. So, um, you know, it's, it's an interesting observation. And mm. then, of course, uh, uh, that, that text uh, uh, concerns the ritual in the uh, royal palace. Most likely it is mentioning there some, uh, some prayers are mentioned or songs. And then we go into the myth, the, the whole uh, reverse of the tablet. Uh, contains and part of the obverse uh, uh, contains the myth uh -huh. and by that uh, it is known at least uh, I, I named that as Shahar and Shalim uh, and the birth of these twin gods in, in this case they are male Venus uh, divinities uh, normally in because of the influence of, of uh, classical mythology we, we have venus associated only with female deities mm. uh, but uh in in ugarit uh, there were these uh m male uh, deities oh. uh shahar and shalim or shakaru and shalimu we hear about them being born to a divine couple where god El, the head of Pantheon, ah, uh, and uh, goddess uh, Ashura, yes, uh, are having uh, uh, are having uh, twin gods, uh, or it's it's more complex because uh, uh, here in that myth, uh, God El is going out uh, to the seashore and uh, meets their two female deities uh, which are uh, not really named uh, in the text hmm. directly and uh, has an encounter with those two female deities and there are there are like two alternatives uh, being presented. Either uh, L is impotent, and then uh, they are calling him father, and they don't give the birth, or he is not impotent, uh, <laughs> and they are uh, calling him husband, and eventually they give birth to these two deities, Shahar <laughs> and Shalim. Uh -huh. uh, Shahar and Shalim, you need to understand, I mentioned that, that that's the Venus deities. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Shahar is like a morning star ah. and Shalim is an evening star. Ah. And that is one of the, it might be one of the sources almost uh, of another interesting feature which is peculiar for uh, this Ugaritic West Semitic uh, uh, religion, and that is a doubling of deities. Uh, there is uh, a craftsmen, uh, kosher and Hasis, two names, even though sometimes they act as one person. Uh -huh. Okay. Then you have here Shahar and Shalim, Ugar and Gofan. 
uh, are the deities messengers of, of, of gods uh, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, you have even kind of, uh, at least in a name, uh, uh, doubling of even of Asherah. Uh-huh. Huh. When she is called uh, the Holy One and a womb mm. in translation, mm -hmm. for instance, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, but it might really kind of one of the initiating uh, impulses for this uh, might come from this astronomical observation and recognition that uh, morning star is actually identical or is like a twin uh. with the evening star. And it will be Shahar and Shalim. Uh -huh. Shahar is a uh, morning star. And Shalim is uh, is the evening star, mm. uh, and that might trigger then this doubling of, yeah. of uh, uh, or maybe it it might be part of uh, accretion, you know, like taking uh, taking in more attributes uh, of uh, being dexterous and uh, handy and mm -hmm. like with that craftsman for instance yeah so that that might be another uh reason uh but my feeling is that it really started with these uh, uh celestial deities and then uh, benefits of that they're used for uh for accumulation of attributes with certain gods so that they can possess uh and and possibly even merge with similar deities from slightly different background uh -huh. or culture. Uh -huh. uh, so the beginning of the process of say monotheization uh, here, but very very early stages. That that'll be kind of my uh, guess. I never really gave it too much thought. So I'm only noticing that you know the, in Ugarit you have. <laughs> doubles yeah divine doubles everywhere like <laughs> du dualities of, yeah. of, of gods and goddesses and uh or at least their names yeah um and shakar and shalim are very interesting gods uh, of course um they are uh twins uh here they they represent uh, extreme opposites but at the same time complement each other uh here the, they're they're growing up their birth and uh, uh they're uh devouring kind of uh nature is mentioned in this myth but what is also interesting from the perspective of uh biblical theology here uh Judaism and Christianity is that they are present in the Hebrew Bible mm. and they are present with us until now mm. uh, in uh, in the name of the city of Jerusalem huh. I think that I did a video uh, earlier uh, several years ago uh, in our something you might not know about the Bible ah. or something like that about it uh, but uh, uh, normally Jerusalem 
is being uh, explained etymologically as coming from uh, Shalem, which will be peace. Uh, but just knowing how the names in ancient times were constructed, they were constructed not with these abstractions, but more with the divine names. They were theomorphic names, where uh, there'll be a divine name and something uh, going with it. And so, for instance, Jerusalem then can be translated as an foundation of God Shalem. Wow. Okay? Rather than a foundation of peace. Wow. Uh, and it is further confirmed by uh, uh, those uh, sagas of King David and his two sons, uh, which were associated with the uh, territory of Jerusalem. And one was Absalom, uh, and that means uh, father is Shalem, mm -hmm. and Shalomor, <laughs> which is also from the same, it's the same, uh, the, from the same deity derived. And, and that is, uh, that is, uh, that means uh, his, like his father's uh, Shalem. Wow. You know, or th there is a modifier uh, at the end of that name. So maybe belonging to Shalem. Mm -hmm. So think of this th second uh, legendary king after David uh, being called uh, of Shalem. Right. You know, of, of this evening star god. Uh, or this kind of close association with that. Uh, that, that, that is, uh, and uh, we have less uh, knowledge about it, uh, Shachar, in that respect of, of uh, his presence in these theomorphic names. But on the other hand, there is more directly about him, uh, because uh, there are several cases where Shachar as a morning star is mentioned and is personified in the Hebrew Bible. One particular is in the book of Job, where uh, this morning star is described like uh, taking the hems of a fabric you know, or blanket or something like that. Mm. And uh, shaking, uh, it. shaking it, you know, or shaking out. Uh, and uh, the, the, that question goes this. Have you commanded the dawn since your days began? Or do you know the place of the morning? That it might take hold of the ends or that hem of the earth that the wicked might be thrown out of it or shaken uh. out of it, so that their bodies would be turned into clay and the throne into a heap. Wow. 
you know, this is uh, just one translation. I even don't know which one it is. Uh, yeah. But uh, here you see that uh, it is what is here called as an dong. It's this uh, shahar. And you can also see even in this translation, which might be a new international version or that one of those uh, more yeah. traditional versions, yeah. uh, that it is personified. Yeah. Yeah. Here, and this personification, especially if you know that in the world around, there was a well-known deity. I think that this translation is lacking. Uh, I understand why they don't want to translate as Shahar <laughs> and sh or, and uh, and in in another places uh, like Shalim say you know or something like that because it can confuse pious faithful uh you showed uh, us the same thing with baal in different places yes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. and especially in the names that was the most recent there was even a comment again uh, associated with with our short videos uh, and someone was asking about it and i oh. just, uh, uh, i i mentioned that yeah, that uh baal was generally suppressed but it still survived in some theomorphic names uh, of mostly there also of people uh, like we have it with Shalim. It's with the name of the place, Jerusalem, and name uh, in the Bible two uh, people there mm -hmm. named uh, or personal names. Uh, so name of the place Jerusalem and two names of uh, of persons, uh, and that'll be Absalom and Shalomon, hmm. uh, or Shalomo. Uh, so uh, that that is uh, another kind of interesting uh, in intersection uh, of that. Uh, I am not aware of these twins sort of, uh, from Ugaritic mythology, uh, being, uh, being present as twins in the Bible. Mm. But they are clearly present there. And uh, that makes it really interesting and uh, further confirming uh, this, uh, this uh, suspicions about, you know, that personification of uh, of Shachar, say, in, in Job, or there are other uh, examples of that in Hosea and in Amos, and I think that there are also, like, in the Psalms. So it is interesting, you know, uh, more profound and more closely associated with the royal tradition in, yeah. uh, in Judea is... Uh, Shalin, more permeating in the Hebrew Bible through disguised presence, mm -hmm. is Shachar. Yeah. Which makes it interesting also. And so... Is, that this, is this just a polytheistic residue? Or is this poor attempts at trying to conceal it? You know what I mean? Is there a difference? Even I don't know. I, I've been I've been thinking about it for for some time, uh, and of course you can say that uh, like like what we, what what we read from Book of Job, 
It's just a metaphor. Yeah. It's a nice poetic metaphor. And it might be surviving just as a lovely poetic metaphor, which originally started as a myth. Yeah. And behind that, completely now unaffiliated with what we have in this uh, Ugaritic text, because that's about their birth. Uh, well, uh, in Job, it is, uh, it, it is uh, pointing more towards already like a youngster or adult uh, uh, Shahar uh, taking care of the wicked people. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, shaking them uh, of the earth by grasping the hems of of uh, of the terrain, you know, and uh, or maybe shaking some kind of an, a nightly demons, yeah, you know, of darkness which are lurking in shadows, and 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 then as the sun is rising and being preceded by the morning star. By, by, by that time, usually it starts to get brighter. I'm an early riser. Uh, I like taking pictures of rising sun and, and uh, dawn. And it has its poetry, yeah. beautiful colors and, and so on. And, and uh, uh, shortening shadows. You know, f- first, there are no shadows. It's, it's just that kind of darkness slowly morphing and then mm-hmm. uh, eastern horizon uh, starting to lit up and bringing out the colors and the clouds are then being illuminated depending on their height yeah. and, and, and so on and so forth. So it, it has a lot of uh, poetical power. And here I would say poetical and mythological or mythical power. And, and so one can understand that these things are mutually compatible. And in that respect, why to be so narrow-minded even uh, in, in our religion and in our faith? Yeah. Why not to take it like, yes, we have there this polytheistic traits in our tradition mm-hmm. and it's all right <laughs> yeah. we, we, we are living with them any any time we want to use metaphors mm-hmm. especially more powerful metaphors about existential matters of life uh, we end up of using these kind of images and and again it's all right uh, if if you are more inclusivistic in your faith like recognizing that divine yeah is behind it all yeah and there were times when the divine was di- subdivided into number of deities right. and then there was this process of coupling them together and merging them and then there was a situation when there was this militant monotheism Mm-hmm. which insisted just only on only one God and nothing more. Yeah. And then there was, uh, with Christianity, uh, again broadening it uh, into the Trinity and recognizing that Jesus, who walked with disciples and so on, was divine. 
right. was special in a unknown way almost for us, difficult to describe, yeah. and the influence of Holy Spirit. But it's, it, it is true, though, that, you know, Christianity uh, helps us be um, connect more with this ancient um, religion you're bringing to us, you know, you're introducing us to, because... Uh, I, I could imagine if we if we weren't Christian, it would be maybe a little bit harder to to kind of connect with mm -hmm. with this, you know. Um, what I really want to point is this big arch coming from uh, from uh, this uh, amorphous polytheistic uh, milieu, then going through the process of accretion, you know, or what I call monotheization in very early stages, probably happening uh, around uh, Ugaritic texts, you know, late bronze period, and then culminating, at least within our tradition, with very strict monotheistic approach of Deuteronomy, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that school of, of monotheists, probably already influenced by Hellenism and Hellenistic philosophy, Greek philosophy, you know, when they want to show that, you know, this is our uh, stake their claims, kind of, you, yeah. you know, this is our domain. We are monotheists within the world of polytheists, you know, within the world of Greeks, even though Greeks kind of gravitated, at least philosophically, towards that. And, 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 and Romans in, in Stoic philosophy, for instance, as well. So philosophers had the tendency towards that. And uh, Jew Jewish tradition wanted to, like, say, yes, that's us. Yeah. You know, so they were, uh, that was the period which became more and more intolerant and that is probably the last stages of editing of the Bible, mm -hmm. uh, mm. where all all these kind of ancient, thankfully they were preserved, uh, were preserved. Yeah, you know, hidden, edited, you know, uh, covered somehow. Maybe they felt a little guilty about it you know, or <laughs> yeah. uh, ashamed. But thankfully, they preserve that, and that's why it's it's interesting what you're bringing to us because we're able to examine this with with not, you know not just in a fun way, but in a way that's not um, it's not you're not uh, saying like this is entirely separate. This is our 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 past. Like these are the our ancestors. Mm -hmm. That you know that we're um, connecting to religion, and and no, the distant ancestors. That's it, the yeah, other. That's crazy. Uh, just just observing from the uh, observing from that uh, historical perspective, uh, Ugarit is dated plus minus like twelve hundred uh, before Common Era. Yeah, we are living uh, twenty hundred. Yeah. Of the common era, yeah. So altogether, it is like three thousand two hundred years or something like that. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. You, you, you know, uh, yes, it is a number of generations. Yeah. It's 
plus minus like 100 120 generations but from the perspective of uh, say uh, geology or history <laughs> yeah. or even biology or other things you, yeah. you know it, it is just a speck that's right and then it gives you a certain perspective that's right that's right and i i i, I would claim humbleness yeah yeah you know recognizing you know come yes. on and yes what what do you think why are you so puffed up right 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 and yeah and and just just um connecting like that to something uh that seems like it's a long time ago but when you put it this way it's not yeah the humbleness comes in and then then you just start to see your own time and your own um kind of uh quibbles with mm -hmm. different parts of this in a whole different way mm -hmm. in our current time yeah so that's why we say thank you for bringing this uh to us uh, over and over again in something new every time thank you Peter. until next time <laughs>